look, the Amazon rainforest, this is, this is a really, really key area. Yeah, and he's knocking on you know Washington's door, and uh, you know this 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 has to be taken more into into um, it, more more into consideration when we make policy towards the region. This has to be a, a you know in terms of environmental sustainability and and making sure that uh, the rainforest is protected. There are a few mechanisms that were created in, in recent past. I don't know if they if if they're currently still ongoing with the current current. Colombian government, but there is this uh, idea or this policy of a uh, rainforest debt swap, where you know if the Colombian government you know preserves a certain amount of rainforest, then you know a certain amount of their debt to the U.S. government is actually forgiven. Welcome to the Green Hour a community of innovators, activists, and government leaders in the world of sustainability. Each week, you will hear from a leader in sustainability to help unlock your mind to a greener future. I'm Preston Pogue, and on the show today, how policy affects sustainability and what current policy has been passed to prompt greater environmental action. Max Castro-Paradis grew up in the Houston area and always felt led to policy and international affairs. During his time in undergraduate studies at the University of Virginia, he felt the urge to apply for an internship in the U.S. Senate. These type of opportunities are extremely competitive due to the nature of the applicants and the limited spots. So instead of applying for the position in the conventional way, aka sending an email, Max used determination and out-of-the-box thinking to get his name known. On his way back to UVA from winter break, he made a short trip to Washington, D.C. to the office of U.S. Senator John Cornyn. He walked straight into the office, found the receptionist, and announced, Hi, I'm Max. I'm from Houston, Texas. I go to the University of Virginia, and I'd love to be your intern this summer. After a couple of weeks, Max found himself on Capitol Hill interning for U.S. Senator John Cornyn. Since then, Max has spent time in the Department of Homeland Security in the Office of Policy, Strategy, and Plans, and is currently a research assistant at Harvard's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs, where he works with Ambassador Paula J. Dobriansky in the Future of Diplomacy Project and supports the project's research agenda and coordinates events. Max is also an active member of the Heritage Foundation's National Security Working Group, Young Professionals Briefing Series at the Council on Foreign Relations, the Alexander Hamilton Society, and the Jamestown Foundation's Young Professionals Program. Max's background is more on the side of national security, but he has great knowledge of sustainability and environmental policy from his past and present research. He is very involved in topics such as the current administration's Indo-Pacific strategy and the CHIPS and Science Act. People like Max are very important for the future of our nation. Governmental policy moves the needle for all things, including sustainability. So having strong, high-integrity people in these positions is only going to help us in the future. I'm excited not only because not only because you're you're friends of mine, but also you know these are these are evolving issues. We have a lot of challenges coming. Uh, my own background: I'm in the national security space, but also uh, I'll mention just because of those evolving technologies, new advanced technologies that are happening uh, in in our country, but also around the world. 
um, you know, podcasts like yours and the Green Hour, I, I definitely think uh, make a difference and uh, they have an impact. So you're reaching distinct audiences, but also I've seen through your previous guests. No, I think I think you've had a great you've had a great cohort of people to be in there. So I hope I can at least give give you and your viewers a uh, or listeners a, a national security perspective on uh, what's going on. Right, right, and you're exactly right. I mean, we have entrepreneurs, we have you know activists and communities, and then now we have policy. So we have all different types of people talking about the same thing um, in different ways. So it's very important, and you know, all we're trying to do is spread education and, and help people to learn and to really understand what's going on. So Max, what I would ask you first is, could you talk a little bit more about your background? Sure. So I will. I'll. I'll. I'll work. I'll work backwards. So uh, today, today I do research. I'm a research assistant at the Harvard Kennedy School, at their Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. Um, more of my research uh, does does a lot on, of course, great power competition vis-a-vis Russia and China. Uh, looking at how both countries, they're undermining uh, not only American influence around the world, but really the West and influence in political, economic, and mil- militarily. And uh, so that, that, takes, that takes the form of looking at, you know, what, are, what, is, what is Russia doing in our backyard, in, uh, in our own hemisphere, like in uh, Venezuela? Uh, also looking at energy, energy issues, energy security, um, that topic has really been in the forefront of, you know, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine in terms of a lot of these energy issues and uh, liquefied natural gas. But also, also more importantly, and another big trend that is, is happening in that part of the world is also nuclear. There's a lot of talk about nuclear and uh, these nuclear reactors and uh, kind of investments in, 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 in that type of energy source. So I would say that that's, that's predominantly what I do research on at Harvard. And then, and then last is, of course, the Indo-Pacific. I wouldn't put it last, but I'm just ticking through in my head in terms of the biggest projects I've had. And yeah, the Indo-Pacific is, 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 some, is, uh, is, is, is definitely... Uh, uh, the concert for great power competition, especially China. Um, you know, it, it is it is something that you know when people are looking at Ukraine and what's happening there. Uh, I, I I can definitely see uh, China under Xi Jinping. They're looking at how our responses in Ukraine because they're they're uh, they're looking at Taiwan. So uh, again, and and uh, going back to my earlier comment about energy. It's not so much, of course, you have energy issues there, but there are the supply chains, these semiconductors, these chips that are made in Taiwan. And uh, a big push, and we'll talk about that later, is uh, what was the CHIPS Act that passed uh, uh, in Congress to really um, put forth more investments in making sure uh, that our semiconductors and computer chips come from countries that are like-minded uh, to us and, and not, uh, uh, not, not the other way around. So that's what I do now. I got there. I previously served DHS, Department of Homeland Security. And before that, I was in the Senate and uh, really enjoyed both of those positions in government. And uh, but definitely uh, they, they complement my work today. So if we were to expand upon um, the Indo-Pacific strategy, specifically the Biden administration's Indo-Pacific strategy, I mean, and what they're doing to, I guess you would say, combat China, because really, if you're looking at it, China is really the U.S. biggest, I don't know if I'd say competitor, but 
um, definitely someone that we've always had to keep an eye out sure. on no because um, they, they they manufacture so much of the world's materials and um, their army is massive. So all of these things together, um, the Indo-Pacific strategy of different presidencies is, is super important because if you're not strong in, in what you do, a nation like China mm-hmm. could take advantage of you. So a um, little long winded, but Talk a little bit about um, the Biden administration's Indo-Pacific strategy and what you think they're doing well and, and what they could do to improve. Sure. Well, look, I think uh, definitely on the Indo-Pacific strategy, I could say I could say a few things. But even before that, and again, this is all related because of China. And, you know, today, uh, today to your viewers and listeners, it is February the 9th. <laughs> it's only a few days after after the Chinese balloon. <laughs> Uh, uh, it came right. came across our country and it was shot down. Um, but no, I, I would say just two comments and then on the Indo-Pacific. No, I think we are in a very, very tense time in terms of U.S.-China policy. Uh, today on the Hill, um, the Deputy, Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman, and the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Indo-Pacific Affairs, um, they testified on Capitol Hill. It was in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and they were talking about, you know, evaluating U.S.-China policy in this era of great power, you know, strategic competition. But to get to to get to the point of why I bring that up is is there is a bipartisan, bipartisan, fully bipartisan feeling on on what should our response be towards China. I want to say today, the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. There was a vote. I think it was 419 to zero, and it was condemning China's brazen, uh, uh, brazen act to send this this balloon across the country. So uh, again, not criticizing the administration's response, but just calling out China for having done that in the first place. I mentioned those two those two details because I do uh, in 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 diplomacy, but also defense and. Uh, you know the Biden administration. They were they were looking at going to China last week, and the 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 trip was canceled because of this incident. So uh, that's that's very important. On the Indo Pacific, uh, definitely, this has been a bipartisan and uh, looking. If you look at the national strategic, uh, you know, the strategic documents from this administration and also the previous administration, there is a a definitely definitely a new. Um, it's, it's a refreshing view on what, how does this matter to us, uh, and great power competition, looking at China, how they're really getting a lot of, they're trying to do a lot of making key investments in certain Asian countries, Southeast Asia, but they're also trying to, uh, build up military bases and, uh, which has been reported about publicly, um, uh, last summer, I, I even think there was a Washington Post article uh, investigation that came out saying, uh, I, 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 I think it was, and I could be wrong, Preston, but I want to say it was it was some Southeast Asian country that China was really building up or trying to build up a military facility. So um, I think I think it's 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 stuff not only just the balloon, but it's also developments on China's end um, uh, that is making making the Indo Pacific and even more. Uh, more important place to uh, make sure that U.S. policy uh, gets attention on. So um, that's that's those are just my three three points with some footnotes. 
you know, looking at previous administration, right, the Trump administration came in, um, obviously, before before the Biden administration. And from my research, it seems like the Biden administration, even though they're a completely different party, have taken a lot of what the Trump administration did with the Indo-Pacific strategy and kind of morphed it into something of their own. Um, one big change that I do see is the Biden administration's push um, to combat climate change um, in their Indo-Pacific strategy. I, th- I think it's it's something like $130 million that they're, that they're pushing the U.S. is to address the consequences of climate change um, in, I don't know if it's Pacific Island regions um, or, or yes. different nations. But, yes, it is. Yeah, um, yes, it is. The Pacific Island, just to, just to interject, yeah, the Pacific Island. He even hosted them at the White House this past, uh, this past uh, just a few weeks ago, the leaders of those countries. So, yes. Yeah, so it, it, it's, from my end, in sustainability, it's refreshing to see those things. I mean, obviously, the Biden administration comes in, they, they notice these things. And again, when they're building their strategy, they're like, hey, some of these things are working. Let's not, you know, slash everything. Let's continue with these things. And, you know, maybe let's... Uh, you know, put more emphasis, more focus on climate change, on sustainability um, than the Trump administration did. I do agree with you full stop on climate change, the climate change provisions in a number of these key agreements between those those island nations, but also at large. It's, it's mentioned um, in the Biden administration's national security strategy that was released earlier this year. Um, it even says uh, as one of our foremost transnational issues uh, is climate change. So it, it goes front and center. It is a very, very important part of this administration's uh, worldview. So yes, of course, that when they were engaging with, with these countries and the strategies, yes, climate change is, is number one. Uh, but also also it's number one in, in this area because these island nations, they have and you know, you listen to them. They they speak a lot uh, here in Washington at the think tanks uh, and the think tank community, and those leaders and their foreign ministers. They they tell us that yes, they have these uh, horrendous floods and natural disasters that happen. That um, they they require response and they need help. So definitely, is it's more of listening to their concerns as well. And I, I want to say it's also um, another big issue with them and or not 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 big issue but another key issue they they also discuss in washington is this uh, fishing fishing the uh, um overfishing um but but no I, I i do think i do think um in terms of defense no this administration has been very 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 aggressive with making sure we have uh, a stronger alliance system in the Indo-Pacific, uh, one key deal that I would point to would be, it's called AUKUS, uh, and it was a partnership between Australia and providing them uh, nuclear submarines. It's going to take a while uh, in terms of the, the delivery of them, but but uh, AUKUS is a symbolism of greater, greater partnership and uh, looking against uh, uh, making sure that we're prepared with anything against China, as China's aggression has been seen around Taiwan. And um, so I would mention that. And then last, you know, on Japan. Japan is an interesting player in all of this uh, in terms of defense. They've really, really been uh, boosting their defense spending. Their national defense strategy just came out also uh, only a few weeks ago. And uh, they're making, they're doing record, they're spending record on defense and uh, U.S. policy is, is looking at it, and um, there are a number of policymakers here in Washington talk about it. 
But um, that's what I would say about about the Indo-Pacific regarding climate change and defense spending. You know, spinning this on, on a more sustainability note, how do you think and, and how do you feel like policy affects sustainability? I mean, for anyone that's, that's involved and has, has read some of these new developments in, in laws and acts, um, you can kind of see um, how sustainability is affected by policy. But coming from someone that's obviously experienced in policy and, and you're doing the research every day, Max, and, and hearing from world leaders, how, how do you think policy impacts sustainability? So, uh, again, Preston, this isn't this isn't so much my area, but the way I'll the way I'll, uh, I'll I'll give you a nice vignette in terms of what somebody is doing on this. A world leader who is really really uh, uh, he took this issue to heart. It's on the Amazon rainforest in terms of protecting the biodiversity and 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 being putting it out there. It's the former president of Colombia, Ivan Duque. He's been very, very aggressive with getting out this message on the world stage. Uh, he was at COP. He was just at the COP twenty-seven in in Egypt this past. I mean, last semester. Um, and yes, we also brought him the Future of Diplomacy project. Brought him to speak actually at Harvard last semester. I want to say in November. And yeah, his message was, "Hey, uh, look." The Amazon rainforest. This is this is a really really key area, yeah, and he's knocking on you know Washington's door, and uh, you know this 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 has to be taken more into into um, it, more more into consideration when we make policy towards the region. This has to be a, a you know in terms of environmental sustainability and and making sure that uh, the rainforest is protected. There are a few mechanisms that were created in, in recent past. I don't know if they. If if they're currently still ongoing with the current current Colombian government, but there is this uh, idea or this policy of a uh, rainforest debt swap, where you know if the Colombian government you know preserves a certain amount of rainforest, then you know a certain amount of their debt to the U.S. government is actually forgiven. So um, again, I think a number of these environmental and sustainability programs. They they um, they have these incentives. Uh, uh, in them, which you know, shift shift uh, certain attitudes or behaviors. So um, that that's that's the way I would best respond to you, uh, Preston. But definitely, I, I think that in terms of sustainability, you know, the question is, what is China doing? You know, uh, you know, what is Russia doing as well? So I, I think that is that's um, under this umbrella of great power competition. I think it's it's uh, it's other questions that should be we should be asking. I think it's important to note that. You know, as as a country in the U.S., we can you know we can give tax credits for um, sustainable action. We can try everything that we can to bring sustainability in our country, um, and, and produce different things, and um, you know just have a mindset of sustainability. But the issue is, if we as the U.S. are the only ones doing this, and and like you said, China and Russia, some of these other nations are turning their back on these things, then what? you know, what's the point? So I think collectively as an entire world, um, and that's why I, I think the Indo-Pacific is so important because you have nations like India, China, Japan, um, you know, Korea, um, a lot of these nations that we really need to, in, in, in terms of sustainability, need to get on the same page with, because I know China's emissions are, are super, super high. Um, and a lot of those nations in, in East Asia are, are contributing a lot of carbon um, dioxide into the environment and into the 
atmosphere. So again, as a as a species, as an entire world, um, we have to be on the same uh-huh. page. And I, I think that really there really needs to be a push for leaders in different governments to come together and really get on the same page in, in terms of sustainability. Because again, the U.S. we can do everything that we can. We can be clean, but um, we're only one dot on the on the world map, and if, if we don't talk with these other nations, then what's the point? So, we again, we have to collectively come together and work together to be more sustainable and and to really create a, a future for our nation um, or our world as a whole, so that in, in fifty years we're not having the issues of climate change that we that we're seeing today. By the way, I, I totally agree with you, Preston. So I, I guess, Max, I don't know if you, you will have much um, input on this question, but I wanted to add this in there Let's because see. it's very interesting. <laughs> I mean, especially in terms of today's um, political environment, I mean, you see a lot of candidates. Um, really, if you're talking sustainability, it's more of a left-wing thing more than right. But I think a lot of people are understanding that. If I can interject, there's one, there's one, there's one, um, you know, very, very impressive, talented young man who is is really trying to to make a voice for uh, what's the conservative argument for climate change and sustainability, and his name's Benji Backer, and he's been he's been really really speaking a lot in Washington, um, speaking in New York, and we're really speaking across the country. But I think his his message his message is there, and I think it's resonated with a lot of people. So, um, but again, he's not. He's not. There aren't any many other people doing the same thing uh, on the the conservative side. My question to you, Max, is, and again, I don't I don't know if, if you feel comfortable with answering this. Is a lot of political candidates nowadays are understanding that the millennials and Gen Z are, are very interested in sustainability, and there's more push um, in political races for sustainability and, and sustainable action. I mean, you even saw it in the, the Biden administration when he is campaigning. Um, all it is is about sustainability. It's about all these things he's going to do in sustainability. And you're kind of seeing the fruits of the labor now a little bit. Um, but do you think that political candidates push for sustainability is, you know, for real? Or is that is that for votes um, in, in today's environment? I think I think uh, the Biden administration or, or maybe I'm trying to think of other candidates that were in that race that pushed for taking fossil fuels out of um taking fossil fuels out of out of or i think it was just banning fossil fuels i forgot i forgot if any presidential candidate yeah. said that in 2020 but but i i i think um i think i think yes uh get, getting to, getting to your getting to your point or getting to your question uh, sure I, I think i think it does um it does there's a a particular base in uh the party or in the democratic party that that um you know, the, or maybe maybe that message resonates with some of those people. So um, I would I would say that yeah, I'm trying to think. I think it was banning fossil fuels, right, or divesting from fossil fuels. Max, we, we won't get into the IRA and the the bipartisan infrastructure um, law, but I do want to touch on different um, government grants for manufacturing and processing companies for sustainability. You know, EV companies, solar companies, um, companies that are building out charging stations. You're seeing different states in the U.S. start to to get more manufacturing, and one of those is Georgia. And I, I want to talk on this a little bit because um, I, I grew up in Georgia. I currently reside in Georgia, and Governor Kemp has done a lot for the state of Georgia, um, recently reelected. Um, and, and Governor Kemp 
is right wing. Obviously, he's he's uh, he's a Republican. But Governor Kent for for the economy has understood that hey, these sustainability companies, companies like Hyundai, Rivian, Q Cells, that are coming into Georgia, he wants to open it up to to bring more jobs and to, and to bring more um, um, industry into Georgia. And Georgia is almost becoming. Um, the hotbed for EV manufacturing in the U.S. And I think um, in 10 years, Georgia might end up being one of the top producing uh, states for EVs. Just a couple stats I'll throw out there for what's going on in Georgia. So Rivian, for those of you that, that don't know Rivian, it's an electric um, truck manufacturer. Um, but Rivian has announced that they're, that they're going to do a $5 billion investment in Georgia for a, a manufacturing plant which will produce around 400,000 trucks per year. And it's a massive, massive facility. I think it's 20 million square feet. I'm just huge, huge, huge facility. Um, secondly, um, you have Hyundai. Hyundai's opening up as well, EV manufacturing plants. Um, and lastly, you have Q-Cells. So Q-Cells is, is dear to my heart because I grew up in Dalton, Georgia, um, which if you don't know, it's the carpet capital of the world. You have Huge carpet manufacturing, artificial turf manufacturing in Dalton, which is really, really cool. Um, but Q-Cells opened up a, a very large um, solar panel uh, manufacturing facility in Dalton. Um, I think it was last year or the year before, and that was their first U.S. facility. They're a South Korean company. They've announced a $2.5 billion investment in Cartersville, Georgia, again, for solar panel manufacturing, um, and it's going to create 2,500 jobs which again, is, it's really, really cool. And what they're saying is if it pans out and everything is produced um, as it is planned to, um, this facility and the one in Dalton will produce 30% of the nation's solar panels by 2027. So, I mean, again, Georgia has, has taken advantage of some of these, these laws and acts that have been put in place. Um, Governor Kemp has, has really pushed this stuff. And Georgia's becoming a big, big player um, in the EV space and the solar space. And I think it's really leadership, um, and again, Max, and in policy, policy allows for for these things to happen. So I'm I'm very very excited as a Georgia citizen to see what's happening. Um, and as someone that, um, again, I, I met Brian Kemp in the fall and um, was able to talk to him briefly, and it was just very interesting to see what his administration is doing. They're right wing, but they're bringing about all of this change. Um, and it's almost a, um, a a blueprint for for what other states should do. So, Max, you you grew up in Texas, and yes. I, I've seen that Texas has done some some similar things. So, could you touch on that a little bit? Uh, Texas, well, look, I'll say I'll definitely mention you know Texas, Texas. Uh, I, I do feel as a very very proud Texan. And uh, but no, you look at all these companies that are moving towards Texas. Uh, you know, there's Tesla. Uh, you have a lot, a lot of. I want to even say the semiconductor, semiconductor manufacturer, Samsung. You know, Samsung building a big plant over there. Mm. And um, no, definitely, I I, I I I I do feel very connected to my state in that respect. And yeah, I'm excited to see. Um, I'm excited to see what what's 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 next for Texas. And uh, where where uh, where where not only policy leaders but business the business community where where um, how can we make Texas continue to thrive? Um, so many people are moving to Texas nowadays um, in terms of kind of geographically 
I want to say even even because of the teleworking during COVID, but but because of the uh, various incentives for businesses um, and and uh, just the tax environment. Um, so I, I would definitely mention that, but it's I, I am I am a proud Texan. So the last segment on this show that we'll talk about, sure. Max, is Biden's Chips and Science Act, um, which. I really want to dive into this because this is this is super, super interesting. And to give a brief um, overview, if I could, this this act is, is trying to bring more semiconductor manufacturing in country in our country. It's interesting when, when we talked about this, Max, because Taiwan produces, I don't know, 20, 25 percent of the world's semiconductors. And, and Taiwan's a very small nation, but they're producing a massive amount of semiconductors and, and a semiconductor. Um, you can find it in your computer, your phone, your basically anything with technologies is, is what I would kind of simplify it at. But Taiwan, Taiwan is producing uh, 20% of the world's uh, semiconductors, and, and they're so small. And it's very interesting because, and, and I want you to get into this, Max, but Taiwan and, and China have always seemed to have conflict. And it always seems like, oh, China's going to invade Taiwan. They're going to take over. There's always this this internal conflict, it seems. But the issue is, if if they do in, in, in invade them um, and affect their their semiconductor manufacturing, the whole world is going to feel this because they're a big player in the market. So, what what I would say is, it seems like East Asia has the mass majority of manufacturing in semiconductors, and the Biden administration is trying to push this so that we can the U.S. can become a player in this market. Um, and we're not kind of sitting on our hands and just waiting for, for these other countries to produce these things for us. So could you talk a little bit about the Biden um, administration's Chips and Science Act and, and why it's important for us? I think definitely this Chips Act, it was it was uh, in my view, I do think um, it is it is one of his most uh, uh uh, I think his his biggest legislative achievement uh, in terms of kind of national security, uh, foreign policy, and working like you were saying, working with our allies and partners, and uh, some people call it friend shoring. And uh, definitely, I, I think I think this is one. It's a key pillar. It was a key issue uh, in terms of the U.S. China strategic competition. Uh, we're now seeing there's talk of of now. Uh, this is this this is uh, this this is uh, outside of the sustainability. I know we're talking about chips, but but also also there's there's these export controls. So now there's conversation in Washington of uh, maybe maybe uh, maybe we have to be screening American companies that want to uh, invest in China <laughs> in key technologies. So these are developing conversations. I think chips was a step in the right direction. And uh, definitely, definitely uh, strengthening our own national security, and, and it matters for every American. I mean, I, I think these are these are the chips that go into your your everything from your 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 iPhone, uh, your your computer to uh, your car, and uh, and then later on, um, you know, as we're finding out, you know, some of these uh, looking at uh, where where Russia is getting their chips from uh, from certain countries that uh, maybe we should be. We should be doing something about it uh, because they're they're helping uh, they're they're helping uh, Russia fight the war in Ukraine. So um, no, I, 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 this is a key issue, and I'm I'm happy to see that you were interested into it. And uh, also, I think it matters. It matters to talk about it. 
Right. No, no, it definitely matters. It's interesting because again, I, I knew nothing about this before um, I, I'd gone to Puerto Rico and my friend was reading this book. And it, it's really interesting to tie all this together and in a geopolitical way of, of understanding, okay, there's conflict between China and Taiwan, but really Taiwan has this massive resource. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a world, uh, we almost have to, we almost need to protect Taiwan's resource with all that we have because it's affected, we're all going to be affected. So another reason that I'm interested in this CHIPS and Science Act is, as far as sustainability, this this act is, is um, directing, uh, it's some, somewhere around $67 billion um, towards accelerating the growth of, of clean energy and um, zero carbon technologies in America. So what does all that mean? Um, I, I, I couldn't break it down, but... All I know is that there's there's money that, that that's being pushed to these things which um, we need, and I, I think a lot of the other things um, in this max is in this act it, it's it's increasing education around STEM and um, different programs for STEM in school, which is also important because you look at STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. These fields, I feel as as America, we're behind mm-hmm. um, behind some other nations in, and is it an educational issue? Yes, I do think it is. So pushing money and pushing dollars towards this stuff can, again, help us raise our education levels and raise, you know, the people that are in school right now, raise what they know. So when they're older and when we're, um, you know, transitioning leadership, we're going to be we're going to be in a good situation. So agree with you. I think I think the Biden administration's Chips and Science Act is is very important um, and it really shows what we need to be doing, um, not just in sustainability, not just in education, but also in the competitive environment with China. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting stuff. So lastly, uh, Max, and, and we'll wrap this up. What would you say to to people pursuing a career in policy today? I mean, obviously, you've done some really cool things at a young age. And the research you're doing at Harvard is very, very cool. It's very, very important. So what would you say to people that that are pursuing a career in policy and want to get in, get in on these um, issues and and really make a difference and make an impact. Well, look, uh, the way the way I'll, I'll, I'll the way I'll the way I'll uh, give you a great answer for this is really I, I see myself in terms of uh, what really got me or what really propelled me or uh, catapulted me forward in terms of my interests. Uh, I wouldn't say uh, immediately professionally, but in terms of my interest in government was yeah getting an internship in the Senate. I think that's where it all started, really getting to see the legislative process, getting to engage with uh, other other like-minded young people and uh and definitely uh getting getting a better sense of uh kind of what uh, learning more about opportunities across government. So I I really I really do whenever young people do ask me this um or whenever young people do ask me this cuz um I I occasionally attend uh my my boss uh she speaks at, you know a number of universities and uh whenever I see your students you know other than Harvard <laughs> they uh that 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 are interested in policy um no it, it is it is it is uh it's important to know your stuff it's important to know the material but also, you need to get involved um, if you really want to. Uh, if you really want to move the ball forward, and uh, you have to get involved, and that can take the shape of anything. But for me, it took the start of uh, an internship. So um, that 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 that's what I would say to that. <laughs> so, uh, but really, thank you, thank you so much for the invite. I really found <clears throat> I really found this discussion. Uh, 
you know, there's so many other things I, I don't know about, uh, you know, uh, uh, national security is, is only one, one part of the uh, view of this stuff. And, uh, but your view in terms of our conversation complemented a lot of it. So I appreciate it and appreciate you having on, you having me on your show. 